Hello everyone, welcome to the discussion of part three of The Darkness That Comes Before by our squad backer, uh, Baker. I mispronounced <laughs> I made a joke about this last week. Anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about part three of The Darkness That Comes Before, which is the first book in the Prince of Nothing trilogy. Uh, we have been reading this one part at a time. Uh, so far, the discussions have been every two weeks and they still will be for the next part. We will meet again um, the week of the 21st and we'll, we, we've been publishing these on the Sunday um, after. After that, we're going to switch to weekly discussions. So part five will be immediately after. If you'd like to join us for these discussions, um, either here in this group or on the forum for uh, written conversations, uh, please consider joining the page chewing forum. I have with me the usual group of friends. Uh, Steve, would you like to start us off with introductions? Sure. Uh, I'm Steve, and it's my third time reading The Darkness, the darkness That Comes Before. Um, it's my, so it's the first book I've read three times, the rest I've, wrote, I've read once. I think this is the part where most people are like, mm, this is too much for me, so I'm curious to hear everyone's thoughts on, on this part. So anxious to hear everyone. And I'll try my best to not spoil anything, but yeah. <laughs> this is the part that I'm like, this book is going to become a favorite, <laughs> but we'll talk oh, wow. about that. Yeah. Uh, Mike, <laughs> you're muted. Yep. So sorry. Um, yeah, my name is Mike. This is my first time reading the book and um, I'm really curious what Steve meant by this is when people kind of is it mean do you mean they bow out or they um, anyway I'm just uh, curious what you meant by that but uh, I guess we could continue with introductions and I'm I'm recovering from a cold <laughs> and I am just now getting a cold uh, this is Carl D Albert speaking uh, fantasy author and member of the page chewing forum very excited to be here. I could guess, I think, I mean, since we're talking about it, why this might be a section where some people bow out. Um, I can imagine it might have something to do with uh, black bodily fluids. Possibly. Uh, yeah, uh, that definitely was. I, so that was one thing I had spoiled for me ahead of time. I knew that was coming. I didn't know how or where, but I knew generally of its existence. And so I was prepared for that. Regardless, it's horrifying. Uh, but I think, you know, it's intentionally horrifying. And I understand if it's not what something wants, like what someone wants to read. Uh, the other thing that potentially stood out to me was this felt like the slowest section to me. Felt like the mm -hmm. least happened in this section, like by quite a lot. You know, I almost expected this sort of pacing at the beginning of the book. But I thought the beginning, like the first act in particular, was rather fast paced. Um, you know, a lot of buildup, climactic moments, you know, even amidst all the character introductions here, it was just a lot of kind of sitting with the characters as they're wandering and, you know, and meeting some new people who I enjoyed getting to meet. But definitely there was a lot of introspection. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of navel gazing, so I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, getting to know these characters, particularly Esmanet, uh, a little better. Um, but it's, I could see it being maybe a little much for someone, particularly considering, I mean, not just the black bodily fluid, but that Esmanet goes and goes through some just horrible mm. things, you know, that aren't necessarily, or at least seemingly not immediately plot relevant. Uh, I'm thinking of the stoning in particular. 
as like you know what a what a gripping visceral horrible scene uh that's you know all too real taken out of real you know historical stories but thankfully did not go you know all the way down to the worst possible scenario yeah i did i mean i kind of knew from that she wasn't going to die anytime soon i suppose because i i don't know how i know this but she's probably one of the characters that sticks around for a while but yeah it still felt like you know bad things could happen to her maybe maybe it was uh because of something i read in the wars of light and shadow book now i've none <laughs> i don't believe anything <laughs> anymore <laughs> i am curious talking about that what steve is the lore keeper he knows all <laughs> but for the re- the other two i'm curious what your vibe is for character deaths in this series right now if i depend it i imagine there are going to be some that are really brutal but i i kind of get a feeling that a lot of the characters like the major characters we've been introduced to we're going to see through most of this trilogy at least we know from the epigraphs that akamian's going to live at least to see quite a bit of the holy war right <laughs> yeah it's like um yeah i don't know about as minute though but obviously the question was for steve sorry i butted in <laughs> go ahead steve <laughs> oh no 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 it's not for steve because steve yeah, knows he knows everything <laughs> okay <laughs> I, i'm curious varsha and mike what your opinions are here you know i i actually my so my take on what i've heard of this book just you know just generally from various reviewers and, and but also people that i admire is that this this book does not hold much back so i i'm i'm imagining you know some pretty hardcore gnarly deaths i but if you're asking about the main characters i i really don't know i i assume we're going to lose a few people a few more people uh, by the end of this book um like do you think we're going to have a you know like game of thrones is yeah. the obvious one to point to you know i i i don't even know if it's considered a spoiler or not but the first book right in the first season of the show ends with an extremely major shocking death that sets the tone for the rest of the series and i'm curious if you guys think we're going to have something like that like we've lost enrau at this point but i wouldn't consider that particularly with how early it is you know an equivalent so do you think we're going to lose one of the main characters at, at you know some really i guess climactic moment but you know well before the end i think i'm most afraid for asmanet i i mean already she's being subjected to so much i feel like i don't see things ending well for her and i think that i, I don't know why i think this honestly i know people go on about how dark the series i haven't encountered it yet except for you know dark bodily fluids <laughs> I, i don't like <laughs> i mean for how much it is hyped for how dark it is i don't feel like i've encountered it yet at least it hasn't lived up to the hype so but but i still feel like maybe because of how indra died uh i feel like asmanet might have a horrible death not because of the reputation but because of what we've been reading so far i feel like bad things are going to happen to asmanet <laughs> 
I definitely think, yeah, I mean, bad things have happened and I suspect more bad things will happen. I have the feeling she's going to live though. Like I just, she gives me like my gut feeling with this character is she's going to go through horrible, horrible shit, but is going to like come out on top, Mm. you know, like she's going to be maybe like not a good person, but that like she's going to survive. Like she's going to be a survivor. Mm -hmm. Um, There's partially like just the, like her general vibe I get, but Mm. also like look at this from a narrative perspective like when this is your primary female character you have and you're already subjecting her to like terrible bodily harm i just feel like it is the rare writer in the 21st century who decides to then in their story prematurely you could say uh so i suspect we'll at least see her through the end of this trilogy but we'll see Mm -hmm. i don't know kellis is the only one i feel really confident will survive through everything Steve's trying really hard not to tell us I think anything. If you're, if you're talking about the first three books, I, I don't think all of these main characters are going to make it, but I couldn't predict who. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I think just, just talking about the first yeah, three I, in particular, I, I, because I think it's so hard to judge since they are kind of two different stories, is my understanding. Um, yeah, what are your thoughts, Mike? Oh, no, I, just what I... Similar uh, to what I said earlier, um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to predict too much, but um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot, if, if uh, what is his name, Prius, uh, bites the bucket pretty soon. Um, <laughs> seems like people that uh, appear uh, rather confident don't do so well. Um, or possibly this other mm. leader, uh, wait, wait. Uh, Mathanet. Uh, boy, the names are, <laughs> I'm trying my best here. Mm. Um, you know, so I think a couple of those characters may, are, are going to meet their, may, may meet their demise. But mm. on, you saying, uh, what is, what is his name? Proyas. Proyas? Mm. Yeah. I see Proyas. Yeah, I could see him dying. I agree. I could see him dying horribly too. I don't know. Uh, part of it, my wonderings too, is like as someone who knows that this has influences from the first crusade, mm-hmm. I keep looking for some of the major players and I'm beginning to suspect that none of them are going to be reflected one-to-one in the story and that rather they're going to be like amalgamations of historical figures. Mm-hmm. And to me, Nursi Proyas reads so clearly as like one of the characters who ends up creating, I mean, spoiler alert about history, several crusader states and retaking Jerusalem, right? And so like some people have to get to the end. And so I, I'm curious, I mean, maybe maybe he doesn't, I don't know. If anything, I feel like his older, wiser, seemingly more morally sound mentor figure is the one that to me has like red shirt all over him. I don't know that reference. What's Red Shirt? Sorry. Oh, so it's like a pop culture reference where in the original Star Trek series, oh. all the characters who would wear red shirts, you knew they were going to die. They were just <laughs> cannon fodder. So it became this just like general lingo for characters who are set to die. Interesting. I, I thought it was a football oh, yeah. reference. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, but I, I watched this. So Varsha was in the same boat. <laughs> uh, thank you for asking. <laughs> there you go. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I was one thing I was going to mention, um, that I thought I would ask the group, I would ask the group we were talking about as Manette 
and I, I, I found this section very interesting. It believe it's in the second part, the 10th chapter, where she, when she's, um, we learn that she asks her clients, I'm using, I don't think she uses that word, what makes you want to be more, like more of a man? And I found that very interesting. And I wondered why, why does she ask that? You know, like, um, is it because she, there's more to her than we think? Um, is she just curious about people's destiny? I think there's more to her, um, but I don't know. And I'm curious what others thought that I, I don't have the page offhand, but I, I jotted down that section um, because I think she shines a bit more and she's featured a quite a bit more in this part, obviously with, with it being titled uh, the harlot. The harlot. Um, yeah. 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 So I'm curious what others thought about that. I think this and the conversation between Akamian and Ziminus, is that his name? Those were the two bits that made me um, really love this book. Like this, this is my favorite set of chapters to read so far. And I think um, the answer to your question, Mike, in my opinion, is in the passage immediately after mm. uh, when Akamian says, it's a pity uh, when she asked him to tell her stories, you know, with, under the same pretext as she uses with all her clients. And he says, uh, when she asks him, what's a pity? He says that you're not a man. If you were a man, you wouldn't need to make teachers of everyone who used you. So she wants to learn. <laughs> she yeah. wants to see the world. And this is all she can do for whatever her circumstances are. And she's doing the best she can. And there's also a passage earlier on where she talks about um, all prostitutes have a favorite type of custom and the ones that she likes are, um, yeah. But as Minute had always prized experience, those who had suffered, who had overcome, who had seen far away or astounding things, these were the men she prized. So, yeah, mm -hmm. I think between this, like it tells us that there is so much to her yeah. um, and there's a lot of depth. And, and we even saw that to a great extent, I think in part one, when she was participating in the discussions between Indrao and Akamian, and like she was sort of, you know, congratulating herself and also feeling really happy at being treated as an equal in those discussions. So she's she's got some wisdom that she wants to share and she's yearning for knowledge, it seems like. And yeah, so I, I am really eager to see what happens <laughs> more with her. What what do you think, Carl? She's definitely the most sympathetic character that is still living at this point. I mean, she just is in such horrible circumstances, but manages to persevere. She's clearly not emotionally healthy. Um, you know, I don't think her like what she feels for Akamian is really as much about Akamian as it is about herself, which I, one could argue that is true with all, all love. Um, you know, it says something about ourselves, but hers and his in turn for her both, I think, says more about them, like themselves rather than the objects of their love. You know, for her, it is very much about that experience, that knowledge. I mean, I think she wants to live the life he's living, mm -hmm. really, and that that's why she loves him. I don't I don't think that there's this particular 
spark one might, you know, look for. I, I like their relationship a lot. I think it's really interesting. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I find her just very compelling, very complex. Uh, yeah, that you can see she yearns for more. And she is very intelligent, but she doesn't have, you know, a traditional education. Mm-hmm. So she finds her education yeah. in her way. She's living in her way, you know, she's going to make it uh, to Momin in her way. And unfortunately, you know, that means using her body. Uh, and I think certainly the thing that is the most uncomfortable about it is not just, you know, I, I, I felt pain. I don't know about you guys when even though I knew it was coming. Like I knew as soon as that guy, uh, the horseback rider, who was it? What's his name? The, the captain general. So uh, whatever, yeah, saved her that she was going to sleep mm-hmm. with him. I, I knew that was coming, but it still hurt. And then to find out, of course, that he's an inhuman, you know, flesh, flesh wearing monster is just like, that's the thing that really digs the knife in that. It's like, she's even like, she has this agency and using her sexuality, but even that is being taken from her because these men aren't men. They keep secrets from her, you know, she's being raped and she doesn't even know it. Right. Uh, I mean, like the horrible harrowing scene with the black fluids in question. Um, I mean, everything around sexuality in this book is really interesting and disturbing. Like I thought it was weird how she got aroused in like such an extreme, almost Mm -hmm. disturbing ecstasy from the monster. And then we later find out like the flesh, skin changer also got like aroused by his master that they have this like control over pleasure and these extreme sensory feelings, which is just a, an interesting, uh, complex, just challenging, um, idea to unpack. Mm-hmm. I, I think I certainly don't, think what we've read so far has shown a very positive view of sexuality, but we're also, I think, seeing in many ways, the worst of, all of mankind. And so in this case, the worst of, you know, men's kind, well, it's not even just mankind. There are also races beyond men uh, and kind of the idea of sexuality and passion and, you know, pleasure, physical pleasure um, and how that can be, you know, distorted into something monstrous. And it's just, Oh, it's harrowing to read about. Um, but certainly it makes her just so, cause she just keeps trying, you know, like she <laughs> does everything she can. She has, great plans, you know, to like blend in with people, to avoid pain in whatever way she can. But because of her profession, she ultimately is an outsider. And yet she keeps persevering and she keeps walking and she keeps finding a way forward. And I I just think that's very admirable um, and definitely makes her, to me, the most sympathetic character we have left. That was also the part about how she... um she did the best she could like she um i'm i'm paraphrasing but she says something when she's thinking to herself about the encounter with the consult i assume um she thinks about how she she's selling her body and she's sort of uh obliged to but she still controls that how she can but in that one encounter she felt like the control was taken away from her how she was made to feel was taken away from her and that's right. what hurt uh, yeah i thought i thought that that paragraph was really um touching yeah 
so quickly just kind of touching on the mystery elements there is that which of them do we think are the strong that's the thing i'm struggling with is i'm like is the bird transforming is some like, like super strong are they all strong hmm. or is the flesh wearing creature who's like having physical reactions to his boss a strong i'm like i or, or none of them i feel like at least one of them has hmm. to be but i beyond that i'm like i i am struggling to piece together what exactly they are i don't think uh i didn't think any of them were i think that's another race of hum humanoids or hominids if you will in in the north that aren't don't seem involved but you raised an interesting question because maybe that's possible maybe the consult these are con the con the consult for me is i assume they're they're not men right are they non-men there's a lot of questions there, but they're, yeah, they have really these abilities, right. To like change their form. And, um, then there's the, the, the bird with the little dude's face, uh, you know? Um, so I think there's still a lot of unanswered questions about the consult and who they are. Um, but they're, they're, they're trying to bring back the, the, their, they're no God, if you will. I, I think that's one of the big, uh, big motivations. So I, I don't think those, um, the, the Srank are, are connected, but I, I could be, I could be totally off. Cause well, the Srank are the, what fights for the consult. Oh, really? was my thought. It's like, that's, yeah, that's their army. Um, okay. and so it's like the orcs under like Mordor, for example. Um, yeah. Like in the beginning, that's definitely like what the, the that's the consult. I, I'm I'm a little hazy on if the no man was with them or not. I forget mm. exactly how that worked out. I feel like he was a separate faction, like he was his own faction. But I may I may be misremembering that. But the uh, yeah, we know that there was some sort of the no god, right? And then the, the strong fought for him. I believe we've had that hmm. confirmed. Steve, is that correct? The Shrank fought for the No God? Mm, I can't, don't remember if it, if we know yet. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So never mind. So maybe, maybe, okay. It's sufficiently still, I mean, it's obviously very yeah. mysterious. I think there's, there's a lot of questions. Dark yeah. factions. Um, I will say, uh, going back to kind of like what do we think overall about the the part three i i liked it um mm -hmm. i liked getting the kind of breath of fresh air to simplify a little bit and not have this is a thing i'm struggling with but i i don't hate it it doesn't it just slows it down for me is i there was a there was a paragraph i read today actually where i was like there are five words here and i don't know what they are i have to look them up and and i i just <laughs> i just went with it you know i didn't i didn't look them up in the past i was like going or I, i'm not looking anything up online by the way i'm going back i'm going back to the notes i'm being careful because everything will be um totally spoiled and so far i'm proud of myself <laughs> 
I made one mistake once and I, I Googled, I think I went, this was for another book and I, yeah, I think I heard, actually, I think I heard you talking about this Varsha for, um, uh, for Berserk. And I just like try to Google something mm -hmm. and it just told, it, it was like, that's the end of the, this is what happens that character at the end yeah. and it just shows up as like the, the first hit. So I, yeah. you know, I, I, the worst. So that was yeah. for, um, uh, Perdido Street Station. I I googled the, mm. the oh, wow. one character's name. I was like, I don't, and I don't remember why. I was just like, what does that word mean? And boom, I was <laughs> I was wrecked. But it wasn't so. It wasn't like the end of the world. It's not. It's not, it's okay. not like it's, right. you're still reading it, right? You know, not to go off tangent. Yeah. I'm with you. Spoilers don't. Yeah. Spoilers yeah. don't ruin a, an experience yeah. for me. I I do generally like to avoid mm -hmm. them. But it is so hard sometimes on the internet. Um, you know, it's, I had so many with the Wheel of Time. I mean, I basically went into Game of Thrones knowing what happened. Because <laughs> the original story for that was, I'm not, I won't side tangent too long, but my sister, when I was 14, sat me down and just like, she loves to tell stories. And so she told me basically the whole plot of the books of Game of Thrones up until that point. And the first season had just come out. And... Uh, we watched it together and they got to the incest and pushing Bran out a window. And I was like, nope, I am too young for this. I'm checking out. This was too weird. Watching this with my sister, I was like, nope. <laughs> and I came back. I had to be like 19 years old before I could come back to it. This series, I definitely would not have been able to handle at 14. It would have been like, no. I, I do think I would have found the black bodily fluid just funny. I think something about that would have, you know, my 14-year-old boy brain would have probably been like, oh, this is just so... Of course, you know, because um, it is a horrifying image. Yeah. Horrifying. Yeah. It, it did creep me out, but I I think <laughs> right now I'm, <laughs> I'm bordering on funny more, more than that. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, it, it is that weird, right? It's like that with horror, that's always, it's a very thin line between horror and comedy, you yeah. know? is like okay. something that can so easily be like just the most disturbing thing could also come across as deeply hilarious, often in a very dark way, but still like deeply hilarious. Yeah. And that's always, you know, the struggle with that. I, I think for me, it, out of context, I think I would find it funny. Mm. Um, it, it's it, in the context mm. with it being on Esmanet that I was like, oh, yeah. oh God. It it was a deeply disturbing scene, and for that, I I think it's an extremely well written one for yeah. what mm. it did to me as I was reading it, it. It felt deeply disturbing. The whole scene, like that, it concluded that way. But the whole scene, mm. it felt like something really horrible <laughs> was happening, which it was. But to evoke that image, mm. I think um, it it was really well done. One thing I'll, I'll give to Baker too is I didn't feel that it was overly like she's feeling pleasure in this horrifying way, but I didn't feel like it was written in a way where it felt like it was really objectifying her and trying to like be titillating. Like I very much felt like this was meant to be horrifying. Mm -hmm. You know, there are definitely some poorly done rape scenes where you're like, oh, you're like edging into writing that like erotically like that's. You know, it, it's maybe not done in the best taste, but like this 
really read to me like even though she was feeling pleasure felt horrifying Mm. like i think because it didn't focus in so much on her her body parts you know or anything like that like it was very much about just like the feelings Mm. and her like internal battle where she was like this is wrong like this shouldn't be this is this is overwhelming this is too much you know what's going on i have no control over myself Mm. um which is a terrifying thought you know for anyone but certainly for a prostitute Mm. you know who's that's their entire control Mm. having control over sex there like what you take that away what do they have yeah. It's horrible. I mean, and she was. I'm, re- oh, I'm so sorry. Go ahead, Marcia. No, no, go ahead. Go I'm ahead, reading Marcia. back that that section, and she is saying to herself, "The what, what Akamian had coached her to do, which is be compliant." So she is. Yeah. Like I didn't take it as though I didn't necessarily interpret it as being raped per se, um, but it seemed there was definitely things going on that were very abnormal, obviously. Um, but she was, um, cause she initially, so initially, um, I, she was, she's, she's treating it as though she's going to get, you know, money for, for the, for the work, uh, uh, done. And then she negotiates and all of that. So to me, it, but the, but the, not, not to give, not to go back into all the details, but, the description is uh, clearly something of like he's stealing her soul or something is happening. She's he's manipulating right. her. He's clearly trying to get information out of her. And there was a section, and I mean, this scene is something else, really. Like there, um, but there's a section in there where, where it says he's trying to extract information but I think she's able to resist and not give much information. That's why he, I, I guess, pursues her later. Um, I No, I think it's the, the opposite. He, I think she gives him everything, okay. but it's just not enough. Like I thought, I thought Akamian even told her like, as part of the be compliant, like he was like, he knew people were gonna come for her and was like, just tell them, right. it's okay. But I didn't see that, that section where it, it must have. You're right. Then I think it, it glosses mm-hmm. over it, um, but I, I didn't mm-hmm. feel like she was able to. I don't know. You're. I think you're. I think you're right. We, we don't hear exactly. Right. I think what she said because I don't think it's ultimately that fruitful. Mm-hmm. You know, for for the whatever that was. Um, you know, I, I think anything she knows is ultimately insignificant. Mm-hmm. You know, to, all it really shows is a Camian, you know, is, is, is a piece on the board. Well, great. They already knew that. Like, I, I don't think it's that significant. You know, mm-hmm. he didn't know anything from Enrao, right? Like, he didn't learn anything. Enrao died before he could tell him anything. So I think uh, that was ultimately probably saved Esmanet's life, right. too, mm-hmm. that there wasn't ultimately anything worth keeping secret. Are, and are are we to assume? So we should assume that. And now I'm blanking on the guy's name because he comes. Up, he's important. He's important in this part. Um, the captain general, Sarcellus. Sarcellus. Yes, yeah, that is the same guy from the end of part one when Inrao died. But yeah. that's. But he's. It's not. It's not the real Sarcellus. Is my understanding that. 
I don't know if these are the same people, in other words. You know what I mean? Because we find out then in... Actually, I'm... I'm it's bigger, That's a fair it's question. A I mean, that question maybe for you. I'm, I'm, I'm just assuming that in then in Chapter 11, he's... We learn that he's this... But he's the thing they call Sarcellus, right? He start, they start, he start being referred right. to as this, the thing, you know, as Sarcellus or what have you. Um, but I'm not clear whether that's the same person from the end of, of part one. Okay. I think it is just because I don't know why if they had a human loyal to them, they would then kill the human and replace mm-hmm. them with yeah. this monster rather than just keep, you know, the human and put the monster somewhere else. Cause I assume they have limited, you know, re- I mean, I, that's just speculation. Right. right. Uh, but my, my guess would be that that is in fact the same. And we had heard before Sarcellus's kind of reveal as a bad guy of the, them wearing flesh. I mean, I think in chapter one, there's a mention of like, yeah, it's, it's the person who kills the, uh, the Crimson Spire uh, guard or whoever it was who was, ended up being an informant for a Camian. Like right at the start of the book, there's the oh, guys like wearing person. flesh. I don't, I don't think that's Saracellus. I think that's the boss. Mm. I think that's probably the, the bird creature. I forget if we get a name for him or not. I thought, I thought we did, but I, I think that was a non man. You know how I am with names. <laughs> that's yeah. the, that's the, that was the Being dude with the uh, coat of human faces. Uh, if, yeah. I, if I recall. And there were, I think there were two of them. Is that the same guy? Or did we find out oh, that's the same guy? I missed that completely. I don't know if it's the same guy or not. Um, mm. Like I, like I, there's a lot of stuff that uh, makes me want to go back and read. And I'm, I'm curious, like I was thinking about you, yeah. Steve, this is the third time. So there must've been a lot. We must've had as uh, so many questions. Um, you know, I, I can I like it, but sometimes it does get a little bit overwhelming. Um, but it's, it's definitely keeps you, keeps you going. Um, but I wondered like you, yeah, how, how you felt the first time reading it, especially this section. I miss, I missed a lot the first time. Um, I think they call the, the bird creature, the synthes, the synthes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, the first time I read it, I missed so much. That's why it's really, I think, like you mentioned, Mike, about you just kind of gloss over some words and feel free to write them down. And we can talk about them if you um, don't want to Google them. We'll keep them spoiler free. But yeah, definitely, I missed a lot. There's just so much. There's there's so much going on unless you really take your time, or for me anyway. Like I missed a lot. I'm even catching things now that I missed the first two times. So there's a lot to it. So I'm reading synthes as like a title like sorcerer or something like that would that be correct it's not like a race or nate or his first name yeah like a see how i can describe it it almost seems it's... to me like a shapeshifter sort Ooh. of like well, well he's also on page um which which i missed but on page um 327 he talks about um the thing called Sarcellus talks about um, kind of like fantasizing about where the architect has been. Yeah. So there's a also couple of names. Architect. Hmm. And this is the architect or wait, or was that it? Or is there an additional I'm blanking on what it says 
exactly at the end there. We know Synthes is like his boss, fakes Arcellus' boss. Mm. But is he... He isn't the architect. We know he's not the top dog, the way he talks about things, right? He's like a he's like a general or something like that, you know? I think he the when uh the small voice, the thing that Sarcellus has a conversation with is um when he first hears his voice, Sarcellus says, Architect, father, you were just this. And then, yeah, I guess he's referred so he to Synthes, and then also he calls him, yes, old father. I think that's Arcelus mm-hmm. to him, right? Yeah, it's not the other way around. I wonder if that's just a religious term, father, or if there's actually some weird siren going on here. Mm. Some genetic, I don't know, black magic, like sex magic weird stuff going on because I mean, we know they they deal with weird black magic sex magic so <laughs> i'm just saying that I, I think it would not be out of the left field to guess you know that like the strong for example were taken like you know lord of the rings if you've ever heard like the story that it was never canonized one way or another but that orcs were made out of like tortured and deformed elves mm. like a version of that that's even more fucked up that's like you know the strong were like genetically bred, you know, probably through horrible, you know, immoral means mm-hmm. with, I don't know, humans, non-men, who knows. Um, the the consult are a priesthood of some sort, right? Because they spread the word of the non-god or... Yes. So you might, there seems to be something there about your, what you said at the beginning, about uh, whether they are religious terms of some sort, architect, old father. True that, true that. And then there's this word, um, men, Menjai, Mengi. Yeah, I thought that that's was his, his name. name. Yeah, yeah, that's Arcellus' real that's name. That's his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, oh, oops. I don't know if it's a coincidence okay. that that is kind of close to Moingus. Mm. I'm just with this, some of these names. I'm like, I can't tell if I'm picking up intentional linguistic similarities or if this is just like pure quinkadink. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. Yeah. But it it would be, they if this group is related to the consult somehow, Moingus's group is, Moingus is part of the group that the consult, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Wanted to hurt. I can't think of words. But, um, right. right? So, yeah, maybe it's the same language root. That's probably what you meant. But they are different groups, right? They are the oppressor right. and the oppressee. Okay. Yes. Yeah, no, I'm not. I don't mean to say that I think Mangi and Moingis are the same person. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering if there is some sort of linguistic connection um, or, or something the, like that. To the mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, yes. Mm, makes sense. I mean, yeah. Because it, it yeah. seems pretty clear that Baker really built out the languages. Oh, yeah. So I, I do feel like a lot of this stuff is not. And he I think he studied, studied philology too, like Tolkien. Mm. Like I know he's like famous for the fact that he got like a PhD in philosophy, but I'm pretty sure he studied philology too. I could be making that up, but yeah, um, I, I, I think he did. There's a, And he certainly is interested in language. No, oh, no, no. Sorry, go ahead, Mike. There, um... Yeah, there's a whole section in the appendix appendices 
that break down the languages and sublanguages and dialects. So, which I don't think a lot of books yeah, go yeah. into that. Um, yeah. No, not at all. So I'm, I'm curious while we're talking about characters, how do you guys feel about Proyas? Nursi Proyas. He feels a lot, he reads a lot like Confess. Uh, not to say that they feel like the same character or person or anything. Like it's got a similar level of confidence. And there's also the line about how when they meet each other, they acknowledge each other as uh, heroes too. Uh, that, yeah, it, it just reminded me a lot of when we were in Confess's perspective. They have that young warrior, you know, kind of untested, but beginning to like show their worth. Mm. But, you know, yeah, haughty, definitely maybe yeah. overconfident. Yeah, feeling feeling uh, confident in their skills. And yes. yeah, not, the world can't shake them so far. <laughs> yeah, we'll see about that. <laughs> How about you, Mike? And Steve, I'm curious. You know, obviously non-spoilery. What what your thoughts are on Nursi Proyas? And also, Esmeralda, we didn't get to hear what you thought of her so far. Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead, Mike. I think the one I, I would agree with what you said. I think the one thing that I, I, if it was explained to me earlier, I, I did not recall, but I made the connection. I mean, it's clear, it's, it's obvious here that um, Prius is related to, or, or they're from the same uh, nation or faction uh, the, as the, the guy who basically, uh, Kelma Munis, the guy who led the 100,000 people to their death, which I have questions Wait. about, by the yeah. way. So I'd love to uh, come back to that. Um, so initially I didn't make that, that link and there is a section in here I was looking where I wrote it down in my notes because they're, I think they're cousins, right? But basically, yeah. Um, because Prius, like, I guess he, he, he had Kelma Munis beat or flogged or what have you, he was lashed and that, and then there was, um, I don't remember who said this or um, how this came about in, in the, in the story, uh, but it's in chapter 10 and basically it's making the connection of uh, to me, it's kind of maybe related to karma or what have you, but so you, you beat up your cousin and so your cousin had shame or he was, it, it caused him to be, um, you know, it, it caused him to be, to be less thoughtful, if you will. I don't, I don't have the exact words. And so that basically Prius was being blamed for how he treated his cousin who, you know, led the vulgar, uh, the vulgar holy war. Um, so that, that to me stood out. Um, I think it's actually, no, I, I do have, I think it might be like the end of our uh, page 299 or so. Um, so that to me, that was the one thing I would mention is the the link to this guy who's. I mean, it, it keeps coming up. Uh, if if I, if we didn't understand it in part two, um, the the vulgar war 
um, and the you know what came of it is repeated multiple times, um, or for readers yeah. like me who need that, or maybe at least once or twice. But um, <laughs> and uh, anyway, so that was to me the big the big link, and they're like you said, similar people. I think I found myself liking Proyas more, and I cannot explain why. I, I do not know why. Maybe maybe it's because of his relationship in the past with Akamian. Like, he's someone mm. I would hate in real life. Like, even taking out the fact that he's c- going to be, if he's not already, a mass murderer. Like, this is a dude who is so self-righteous. But there's something... Maybe it's the fact that, like, we're seeing a bunch of people who are putting on kind of this mask. I mean, you c- go to the Empire and that's all it is, Right. And just for me personally, I guess, someone who's at least more straightforward about like who they are and what they believe is a breath of fresh air, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, I, maybe it's that like seeming sense of integrity, even though he's like a big dick about it. Uh, <laughs> God, I felt so sad for Kamian at the end there where he was like waiting and wanting to meet with Proyas oh, yeah. and Proyas would not. I was like, oh, man. I also struggle. I mean, they try to describe him, but I like, I have such a hard time wrapping my head around. I mean, people change a lot. Mm-hmm. I get it. But like Proyas and Akamian getting along the way, it, it to me almost just seems like one of those like, oh, the kid was really smart. So of course the teacher liked him rather than them having like the sort of emotional bond I really clearly saw with Enrao. Hmm. Yeah, but I, I don't know. I- that may just be my reading. Sorry, I want to hear from Steve, but yeah, I, I think you're right about Indra versus Proyas. Uh, there was a bond there, but it doesn't feel like, I don't feel like we have evidence to suggest that Proyas ever really respected or appreciated Akamian. Uh, right. Mostly just, I mean, there are indications that, um, you know, he Akamian like scolded him or like basically was a teacher right like he had he did what he had to do as long as he was being taught but um but as soon as he was able to think for himself he decided i am rejecting all of this but, right. yeah anyway what do you think steve confess versus proyas that mm. was yeah <laughs> well proya the, the um his the so Callum, Kalaminus, uh, bad with the names. He, um, when uh, so on page two ninety nine, although Ulf accepted, whipped Proyas before the eyes of the king in court, and that's the the real reason why Kalaminus never forgave Proyas. Mm. So he he did it to deny Proyas, out of like almost out of spite to, like you know, as a way of like getting back at him. But, uh, Proyas, I think has that, has that effect. On, I think a lot of readers like Proyas. Um, and I think the way that he treats a and kind of gives you an insight on how, even though, even though they have a relationship, I think it tells us a lot about how the world views a and how they don't, he's kind of a joke. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's not a very good spy. Like he's, no one really takes him seriously. He's always ranting about the consult and like, okay, whatever. Like we have other things to worry about. So I think that kind of tells us like how much respect the the world has for a commie, like how they view him 
more than how how they view pro AS. If that makes sense, is it is it just disrespect or lack of appreciation for Akamian, the person or the mandate schoolman? Because what he is repeating about the consult and so on, or the beliefs he shares are with the schoolman, um, and is that the same thing as the gnosis? the ability to dream yeah. i don't know if that's different or same but um but that does they seem to be well respected at least among the rest of the schools or at least they want what the mandate has right i but, think they're just considered like crackpots yeah. mm. sort of the thing yeah. the one school where everyone's like oh these guys and their obsession with the consult like mm. they're always telling us the end of days is coming you know they're like the you know the generic like homeless guy you see on the street the sign like the world is ending and that's like what everyone thinks of them right they, they might be viewed as yeah. like a you know like a doomsday cult or you know but i think people they, they do respect that's, that's they what they are kind of respect them <laughs> to an extent the one thing i will add um about I think about Prius is that it does seem like he is able to, um, he is, he, he does have the capacity to, um, show that he's, you know, made mistakes compared mm. to, um, who was the other guy we were comparing him to? I forgot now. Confess. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, cause yeah. Uh, that I, my take on the, um, the, 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 the empire is they're they're the extreme of you know the most arrogant they think they're you know the greatest thing they have all the power so they just you know could care less uh, they're 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 clearly driving this they're they're behind the scenes um, and and doing everything they can so they can be in the driver's seat of this war that's uh, my you know kind of my my take on it may be oversimplistic, but. Yeah, I think it, it is, you know, the fact that Perez shows some humility and also I guess that he's kind of an underdog in a weird way. And like, cause again, I, there's just so much about him that I shouldn't, and I don't like, but for some reason I still, when we were in his head, I found myself like kind of sympathizing with him a bit. Like, you know, e even about, uh, a Kamian who, you know, I could understand why he would like not want to see this guy, you know, I mean, that, that to me is really the biggest sign that he does carry some sort of feelings is that he won't see him at all because mm -hmm. whether or not a, a Kamian is widely respected, you know, like they have a history. And so you would think you'd at least like let the guy pop in and be like, okay, here's what I have to say. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he doesn't, to me, that reads as a much more personal slight than it is, you know, a kind of general philosophical one, I guess you could say. Because, like, even Zim, right, is trying to set them up. And Zim respects Akamian and is, like, very lo likable character, Zim, mm. I thought. Uh, had some funny lines and, <laughs> yeah, real personality, kind of classic, gruff old war guy. I enjoyed him. Yeah. I, I did not like Bruce. Mm. I think mm. maybe because I'm, I'm trying to think why, because I should in theory like or dislike him as much as Confess, because I, the, I see them to be at this point, very similar characters. But 
um, Confess I did not instantly dislike uh, Proyas. I did, and I, I'm I'm thinking it might be because I am primed to think about uh, you know the fact that he disrespects a, a commune and and then uh, the whole story that Ziminis told a commune about how he uh, had him flogged and then came to yell at him about not supporting him or whatever. I guess all of that sort of primed me to dislike him. And then he didn't do much for himself, even when I was in his perspective, I guess. Valid. Part of No, it- he's like, you, you like look at him on paper and you're like, this guy sucks. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know why I like him. I cannot explain it. Like I was speculating, but I really, I don't know. It's so strange mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. Confis, I immediately he immediately pissed me off. I don't know why. <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I think if he took over, I would have liked him more because I've been like, okay, this guy gets shit done. Mm, you know? Mm. But the fact that he didn't <laughs> and got played by his uncle, who I hate even more, meant me that I was just like, this guy. So like Confis, I was sort of primed to not like, but like a little bit more than the em- emperor, yeah. I think. Yeah. Because I didn't like the emperor, it's like someone right. who is a bit of a nemesis to him. Maybe I'll appreciate him. I did not, but uh, <laughs> but this guy, I well first, and maybe it's also slight bias against him because you know he's been introduced to us as a fanatic and someone who feels strongly enough to and he, and he even thinks about this himself i think i underlined it but about how politics uh makes you sell your principles to respect those principles or something to that effect and yeah so i i can see i can see why i could like him i guess if i had been slightly more open minded or at least not dislike him quite as much but i feel like i went into it just primed to dislike him and I, <laughs> I I I did too, and that's why I'm like so shocked. I'm like shaken by the fact. It's like I don't know why I like this guy. Like everything about it, I hate zealot characters. I hate them. Mm-hmm. Why do I like this guy? <laughs> I don't get it. Like in any other book, I would be like, oh, it's the fucking zealot character. Like kill him, <laughs> kill him. Just for, I can't wait for his brutal, terrible death. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, I just was like, okay, like I see you. Yeah, I, it's not like you know. I don't know. I can't explain it. We're all, you know, nobody's perfect. <laughs> I don't know what goes on in this little brain of mine. I don't know that I want to know. Um, I, I'm going to admit something uh, maybe unpopular, but I, I, I do actually identify a little bit with Akamian. Maybe it's because he's a little bit like older guy and just keeps following certain things oh, no, that nobody else him. seems oh, to. No. I, I don't know why, but I, I've actually dealt with that in my life. And so there's, there's, and then, I mean, there's other things obviously that, that, that he does that. You cut off I'm for so a bit, sorry. Mike. Shoot. You're, you're back now. You're perfectly clean now. Okay. Uh, but we missed about half of what you said. Oh, no. Uh, no, I, I, you were talking about relating. Yeah, to I was Akamian just, I was, yeah, just saying. Yeah, I do relate to him in some ways because of the the challenges that he's faced, um, and uh, I, I, I think maybe maybe his age, uh, the stage he is in life, 
And I, I really did like appreciate in, I think it's in chapter nine where we learn that he's kind of doing like his de- some detective skills. Um, mm. So I, I don't know. I appreciated that. I thought it was helpful <laughs> um, that he's trying to work things out and what are the connections to these different characters. Obviously that's, that's a, a narrative device. I think um, that, that Baker, that Baker See, that is was using. He didn't that- like that. I hated that. That was my least favorite part of this entire book up until this point where I was like, some editor came in and was like, this is really confusing. You need to spell it out for the reader to make it clear. And I, and I was like, Oh no, you're not for, you're doing this for like three pages. And I, it drove me nuts. It, it killed me. Okay. I, I started seeing, you know, the large font and I was like, Oh, what's this? (laughs) Like, what are we, what's coming? And then I was like, Oh, he's just telling us all this stuff that we've learned. And, and I, I get it's useful to reinforce, but for me personally, I was like, oh no. Yeah. I think I would have enjoyed it more if it was a conversation too. Like if it just wasn't so static, but it was him just like literally drawing in a sand with a stick. And I was like, nope, can't, nope, I'm out. (laughs) You didn't like that. Um, that's just me. That's just me. No, no, no shame if, if you enjoyed it. Uh, I, but I just, for me, that was like, that was the one moment where I was like, oh, yeah. God. I like what it told us about Akamian's character, though, but I, I didn't like how it was done. I agree. I, I think if it, yeah, it wasn't the best way. I didn't like it very much. But I did like what it told us about Akamian. Like, so far, it felt like, um, He's just this sort of, it almost feels like he's a very passive character. I know he's not. He's doing things. and But so far, he's just sort of been, I don't, not really wallowing, but it feels like he's, <laughs> there's, there's a term in Hindi. I don't know if it's, if my husband made it up or what, but it translates to eating self-pity. Mm. So he eats <laughs> self-pity. <laughs> yeah, I can relate. Um, and <laughs> and like it but here he's actually like trying to do something he's trying to take action it almost feels like it um so that's what i liked about that section but i didn't quite like how that information was relayed i agree so like i sort of agree with both of you <laughs> for different reasons two two things going off of what you were just saying varsha one i i also like a came in mike he's easily one of the more you know, sympathetic characters up until this point. Like he does things that annoy me, um, particularly around Esmanet. And like, just, I mean, they, they together just uh, annoy me. They're like, their communication skills are horrible. Um, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. It's a book that happens. That's human. Um, and they, even when they try to communicate, they just do it in the worst way. Anyway, separate, that's a separate tangent. Uh, I like Akamian a lot. I don't even think he's passive. Mm-hmm. I, I would push back on that. I don't think he's passive. I just think he's really ineffectual. Mm, like yeah. all we've seen him do is fail. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I get think that's a better characterization. Sure. Yeah. Because he's, he's actively investigating things. <laughs> the problem is he's not actually learning anything useful. <laughs> yeah. I will say I'm not. Yeah. The most useful thing he learned, he learned in chapter one mm. about the Scarlet Spires and its relationship with the, uh, like the assassination that went on and, and all that going on with the, uh, uh, this, this C-Sharam. Mm-hmm. Is that the other? Mm. Yeah. That's the most important thing he's learned. 
I feel yeah. like he's working yeah. things out. He hasn't. There's no big, huge no, totally. aha moments. Totally. I think. I think there's a little bit of. My point, I guess, is there is some detective component here that some people just don't like. Or you know, I, I, sometimes I like it, sometimes I don't in in books. Um, but I, I kind of like that he's kind of he's a little bit more of like what he's not an everyman, but he's like he's somebody that because he doesn't figure everything out, it kind of keeps us guessing, keeps us maybe. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, as a as a character, um, you know, uh, and so I. Um, I liked the other part that I liked, I guess it's not, he's part of it, but it, it it's, he's playing that game, the Benjuka game. What did you all think of that? Um, I thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. I don't quite understand, quite understand it. Yeah. I was really interested. I have no idea what was going on there and I had no idea how to read that. I, no clue. same. I did. I can't say I understood much about the game, but it, the description went on for three pages I, I like loved it. every bit of it. <laughs> I loved the description of the game. I loved what it said. Uh, I love the way it starts is life mm-hmm. is a game, and then you know the the whole thing about games having rules and life having rules, and then how it goes on. I loved that section. <laughs> I loved it so much. <laughs> Eve, for you, did that section make a lot of sense? Like having reread things, or is it still one of those that is just like, what is going on here? It's, it's, it's just so funny to hear you say that. Um, the Benjuka, so I'll try and say this without giving anything away, but I kind of gloss over it a little bit. Um, okay. I think he, I think from what I hear is that uh, Baker had planned to release it like a, like a board game. Like oh, he planned wow. to make it into a game. Kind of like from The Witcher, how they had the um, Gwent or what was it? The Yeah, Gwent. Game. Kind of like that. I, I think he intended for it to be a, a game outside of the book. I'm not sure if it's ever going to happen, but I think he wrote it to with the intention of making wanting to make it a game after. And there there are some there are some ways that it it ties into the story, so it's not useless. It's not like just him, you know, having a good time. It it does. There are some things you can take away from it, but uh, yes, it didn't make a whole lot of sense to me still. So. so. Yeah, to me it read like in in this this won't be a spoiler for people who haven't read the Malazan Books of Fallen, but in there there's like a deck of cards that are basically tarot cards, the deck of dragons. And to me, like there are all these readings throughout the series, and you have no idea what they mean on the first read through. Like you don't know what they're talking about, you have no idea what they symbolize, they, no one explains it to you. But when you go back, they start to make more sense once you see the events that they're foreshadowing and the characters that they're foreshadowing and things like that. And to me, I felt like this was a similar sort of section. And so I, I that's why I was curious, Steve is like, so do, does it, I mean, did any of it seem based on what you read to be reflective of, you know, potentially events to come or events that have happened in the past? Yeah. You can make some parallels. Yeah. Some, some part of the game that we read, it felt a bit foreshadowy sort of, um, like it was trying to say something to us. I don't know what it is saying exactly, but you know that moment when Akamian realizes as they are talking about the fact that um, the vulgar holy war lost a hundred thousand people. As he's thinking about that, he realizes that he's in a better place and like he has to make one tiny move and then get in a better place. 
and then uh, what's his name, Ziminim, that put him at a disadvantage if I read all of that correctly. So it feels like we're being told that the Valga holy holy wars loss gives Akamian a bit of an advantage of some sort, but. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. All, all that to say, I agree with you, Carl. It feels like a bit like the Deck of Dragons situation, but not explicitly, because the Deck of Dragons, they play it each time to figure out what's going to happen in the future. But this feels like more like a conversation between the author and the reader almost um, yeah. to tell us, yeah, if you can figure it out, it might be fun for you. <laughs> so. I, I had a reading. I, yeah, I'm uh, sure. There's... Oh, sorry. No, I did ahead, have a reading ahead. on it um, in that. So it to me, it was about, it's about if you are attached to something or grasping for something, then you fail. And that's, you know, that comes from mm. various teachings, you know, uh, um, including uh, Buddhism, um, you know, attachment is the path to suffering. Um and, and so I thought that's what he was commenting on. So, like, if you're bad at the game, you may be somebody that, and I don't know if Akamian isn't too good at the game or he just kind of gives up, we, we learn. I don't know if it comes up again later, but, um, yeah, my, taking, my take on it was um, there is some theme there about if you are just going for, you know, whatever comes, the whims that come to you, whatever drives you, and, and you're not really thinking through the repercussions, it kind of connects back to the beginning of the story, the beginning of the book, a little bit. But I could be, I could be completely out there. <laughs> no, I think that's really interesting. I, I and I like, I like your reading there. Going off of that, so I did become more acquainted with Nietzschean philosophy since our last meetup, because I forget who was posted the link to sort of that, that extensive kind of summary of Nietzsche's writings and life. And I was curious. And so uh, over a few days, I kind of chipped through it. And not only is it making some things that much more like, I see what's going on here uh, in terms of like specific characters and kind of philosophical ideas. Um, but, you know, one thing that really stood out to me is uh, Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche's idea that life is all will to power. It is all creatures, beings, everything striving for power. And that to me feels like the underlying current of this entire world. Everyone we've seen has been fighting for power in some way. You know, even down to Esmenet, it's like fighting for that autonomy, fighting for control. All the struggles are about these struggles for power and having power over other people. You know, it, no more obvious than the religious fervor kicked up or Kellis's personal, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, not psychic, but it, it is, might as well be psychic ways of like manipulating people. And I think it is very interesting to see sort of the ph philosophical underpinnings that lie over this whole world, really, I can tell, and the work in general. Um, you know, certainly there's ideas I think we'd kind of briefly mentioned in the uh, thread of the Ubermensch, the Overman, of this like superior being 
And, you know, after kind of reading more on what he's about, you, he basically epitomizes the will to power thing and he's like the best at it. And he doesn't let, you know, other people influence his ideas. That's another big thing of Nietzsche's is like not being influenced by others, right. but influencing other religion yeah. and like, yeah, being very like, yeah, a, a away from religion, away from anything, having your values and sticking to them and discovering those values inside yourself. And it, yeah, it just seems so reflective in the work. Um, and in many ways in what we've seen of the Dunyain, certainly. Um, and I think it certainly has a, a very strong relation, you know, just the whole talk of like, how you find your own values, your own inner strength, you know, whatever your will to power is tying that into this religious conflict is to me uh, a brilliant way of approaching it. Uh, but also like just very clear, like, it's like, yes, like this whole thing in many ways, like it doesn't get more explicitly like having beliefs imposed upon you than, you know, a holy war coming in and saying, you know, convert or die, we're taking over. Um, and so I'm very, uh, intrigued to see how all of that continues to play out. And I'm curious if you guys have any thoughts or if you happen to also read any little bits of Nietzsche between last session and now. I have not, but now I want to, <laughs> to see, to figure out what you mean. Uh, I see, I'm the only one in class who did the homework. <laughs> That's okay. That's, you did extra credit. <laughs> I barely got the pages right. <laughs> uh, yeah I, i'm gonna check it out you mentioned that someone posted a link was it on the forum yeah it's it's in the darkness that comes before forum just like the the general i think discussion thread um, okay and yeah any listener please if you want to see what we're talking about it's really useful it's like scholarly written everything has resources like links to you know you can go i didn't read the the books themselves um, it's just kind of an overview. You might think like a Wikipedia style, but more kind of official and like clean and, you know, um, written by one person who I guess was a, uh, Nietzsche scholar. I, th I want to say like came from like Cambridge or something too. Um, but yeah, it was very interesting. Some of his ideas are really hard to yeah. comprehend. They are just so convoluted and uh part of the problem too is nietzsche kind of died before he ever created like an overarching philosophy a lot of his ideas are just like anti-ideas he's like what what is happening here is bad and doesn't work and then he's never as like and here's what works really he just has all of these kind of theories and challenges and uh it's interesting especially in the context of this series to see how that definitely influenced things as he, as he begin, find the link and then post it. Yeah, I did. Uh, I think I did. I think it was uh, Do Unicorns okay. Read posted it. From my, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I did uh, uh, quote it and tag you each, each in it. That's so, great. Yeah. Um, I I did watch a video, but it was uh, a while back. And um, no, so it does, that's not the same thing. I have, I have attempted to read his writing and it, Maybe it's a translation, but it's it's super dense. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, it's like you, you know, I wouldn't feel bad by trying to get, you know, another 
uh, annotated version to help me read through it. But um, I was looking, Absolutely. I got through some of the, I got some of the concepts you were mentioning, Carl. So I, um, and I think he's known for nihilism, but it's a lot, it's not just about nihilism. It's a lot more than, like you said. Um, uh, it's, yeah, I, th I think the, if you can generally get the big concepts, you're okay. Like there, there are a lot of sort of sub concepts and a lot of the concepts are like are related, <clears throat> but stuff mm -hmm. like, you know, the will to power, if you can understand that, for example, or like his whole statement to around like God is dead, you know, humans killed him, like what he means by that yeah. and like stuff like that. I think a lot of his, you know, philosophy too is very much based in the age he was living in. And so in some ways, parts of it feel old and outdated almost because our societies have come so far um, in different ways. In other ways, they're exactly as they've always been. Um, but yeah, definitely recommend it because it, it definitely gave me a new appreciation for a lot of what we've been reading. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go take a look. <laughs> the extra credit. <laughs> the extra credit. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, the game, I forget. I think when they talk about the game, it's just about the game for about three pages because I remember noting, okay, this has been going on for three pages, but I'm really enjoying it, so that's fine. Uh, but <laughs> what was also happening during the game uh, was the conversation between Zinimus and Akami, and, and that was the other thing that I really, really loved from this chapter. Uh, what did you guys think of that? I... I don't know yet how I feel about Zinnemann, but I love their relationship. What they, how, um, especially the bit about how they became friends over how, um, what is it? Because Zinnemann noticed that Proyas was starting to reflect his teacher and he wanted to meet the teacher because he liked what he saw in Proyas. And then they became friends because they shared a joke and whatnot. I, I love that whole section where they talk about how the friendship developed and then we are seeing its current state. I, Yeah, I, I really want more to see more of their friendship. I would really like for one of the bad things we see that I've, that I've been promised will happen to not be the breaking of their friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I, I also really enjoyed that scene. I, I think that was probably the highlight for me of this reading too. I found myself the most emotionally engaged. Um, you know, there, a lot, there's again, a lot of navel gazing in this section, um, particularly Akamian does a lot of, well, and Asmanat. I, I actually think they probably do an equal amount, but, uh, and I, and I love me that, but I love the additional like human connection there. And it, it definitely was, you know, I don't know if it's wholesome, but it was more, uh, it was sweeter than a lot of what we've seen, you know, for a while, at least, you know, certainly sweeter than the shit going on with Esmanet. So uh, that was uh, uh, absolutely pleasant to read. I agree. Steve's laughing. Why are you laughing, Steve? <laughs> no, just the stuff that's, I mean, it would, when you compare anything else with what's going on with Esmanet, it's like everything else is pretty like. Sunshine and yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Wait, are you saying that with what happened to Esmanet so far or what might happen to her later on? Because, I mean, he, there were two really bad things that happened to her, but I feel like she's still pretty... 
maybe I didn't register how dark the scenes were. I, I would say three bad things happened, and the last one has yet to fully blow up in her face yet. Oh, I think, fair. yeah. Well, arguably four. A Kamian leaving, I think, shouldn't be understated. That clearly was really upsetting to her. Two, black bodily fluids. <laughs> that was traumatizing. Yeah. Three, she almost got stoned to death. That scene was crazy. So harrowing to read. Really hard to read. Yeah, what and was excellently done. I mean, in terms of like the, just the pure writing, that, that may have been uh, what I thought was just like the, the best written scene in this section. Mm-hmm. And then her, her latest relationship, you know, I think is because of what she doesn't know. I think that makes it particularly. Um, mm. Well, we'll see. We'll see how it all plays out. But uh, there's no way it's going to play out happily. Mm. Yeah, I'm. I'm trying to think. So, if okay, maybe my reasoning is she's strong enough to handle it. You know, like she's going to come out of this fine. I, I agree with you. I guess I'm indirectly agreeing with what you said, like way earlier in the conversation, Carl. That she'll probably come out. Okay. Uh, she feels like a really strong person. Like she's had a lot of horrible things thrown at her, but like, yeah, she can handle it. it it's fine. She'll be fine. <laughs> we'll see. I agree with that. I definitely think, I mean, I don't know if she always handles it well, but she, she handles it. Like she endures some terrible stuff and mm. manages to keep going, keep walking. You know, even when her feet are bleeding, she keeps walking. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, we, we didn't hear you talk about Esmanette. Your thoughts on Esmanette in this section? She's one of my favorite characters in the whole, in the book. Um, and as long as she lasts, who knows? Um, but um, no, I, I think the fact that she, she, she almost struck me as someone who, who is uh, in this, obviously the world, I guess the world that we're exploring women aren't to have very little agency, but she finds a way, like, like everyone's saying, she finds a way to kind of blaze her own path. And even though she is who she is, she still learns from all the men that she interacts with. And she, she it's almost like she's, I think Carly mentioned, she's like, that's her education in a way that she's, she's choosing to educate herself about the world in in the small ways that she can. And uh, she's like a survivor. Like that's kind yeah. of the way I see her. Um, and even though she there was a there was a line about Kami and that you know I she wanted him but she wanted his life more like she dreams yeah. of doing something more like she wants she wants something more in life she's not just resigned to being a prostitute like she wants more and she dream has dreams I guess you can say of doing other things so like but like you said she continues to walk and she finds a way to uh, and the the moment where she starts to leave or she's set, she's out on her on her path and she kind of like i can't believe I'm, I'm i've just heard about this and now i'm living it and she was only just a small ways out of the mm. city it just kind of struck me as she's almost like a kid like she doesn't have a lot of experience doing many things i guess mm. um so she's evolving a lot and i think a lot of people um, that I've, I've seen a lot of people who, who like DNF the book, they point to her, um, her struggle and the things that happened to her in this section that this is like too much for them. And they have issues with the way that she's treated and the things that she has to go through. But I, I will say to any of you or anyone listening, I should say, um, 
who who have problems with that i think just just wait just like just let the story be told like all these characters and everything evolves so it's not all the all these things happen for a reason so it's not just like um just to torture the character there's things there's reasons all these things are happening so I won't, of course i won't say why or what happens but there's there's meaning to all of it like there's it's it's not just abuse for abuse sake like there's mm. a purpose to it yeah i didn't it didn't feel like like gratuitous yeah. i guess um, yeah, I didn't feel gratuitous at all. Yeah, I mean, me. uh, the stoning scene was interesting, but I think that was sort of necessary because she, we, we need to know what she's dealing. She's bearing that tattoo, right? And that is clearly calling her out for what she is. So, and, and that has dangers to, that come with it. And the scene with the consult. Is that that's the concept, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, um, that also, I guess, it was terrifying. I, I feel like it was necessary. We don't know yet why or what they they've come. They might have come to learn from her, but I feel like that could it have been done differently, maybe. But none of it feels like yeah, abuse for abuse's sake. I yeah, at least felt all right to me. Well, yeah, it, it, it's not, again, I don't think it really feels titillating, mm. you right. know? I feel like that's so often where I draw the line, where it feels like they're trying to, like, make sexual abuse really erotic and hot, and this was, it was a horror scene. Yeah. Like, yeah. it was written like a horror scene, and it's written from her point of view, and, I, yeah, I mean, it, it, I think the concepts it's proposing are, like, deeply disturbing, you know, like, and potentially funny in a darkly comic way too. Uh, but like, they're meaningful. Like they, this, like many things in this book is, it's not done for no reason. Like it clearly has thematic, intentional, like significance to the story. You know, it's adding layers. It's asking questions. Mm. You know, it's proposing ideas. It's not just about titillation. You know, just about getting your, the reader's rocks off in some messed up way. And, and it's not like it's described and then it's over. There are consequences on her mental state, on what she does afterwards, uh, th the things that affect her and potentially the decisions that she might take later on, I'm expecting. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But I, I do really, I think what I appreciate about S-Minute so far really is her strength and her ability to fight through pretty much anything it seems like so far and also what we've been told about her backstory and what she's been doing to make the best of her situation right i don't feel like we're really told i don't remember we aren't told how she came to do what she does right we just start with her time as a prostitute and she yeah, how she's making the best of it, which I really admire in that character. Absolutely. So, Steve, since we have you talking now, uh, what do you think about uh, Ziminet? Am I saying that correctly? <laughs> For starters. Ziminus. Ziminus. Zinimus. Yeah, okay. Zinimus. <laughs> <laughs> I think I mixed up Esmenet and whatever this person's name is. I'm, I'm just calling him Cinnamon from now on. 
cinnamon. <laughs> what do you think of cinnamon and a communist <laughs> relationship? And also just like cinnamon, I guess. That's a question to everybody. What do you guys think of the cinnamon guy? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, it just occurred to me now, we had talked about earlier about how the world or how the, the broader, you know, the general attitude towards the commune, but his personal relationships seem to be all very strong. Mm. Even if they do think he's a little bit of a, like he's in a death cult or a doomsday cult, <laughs> the people he has personal relationships with seem to have, are like drawn to him, which I think is kind of interesting. I didn't think about it until now, but um, yeah, but mm. curious to hear what everyone else was thinking of that character, Cinnamon. <laughs> yeah, I like how you put that because I, when you described how people uh, think of a commune and that he's basically a joke, I wondered if I didn't register that because I mean, it's true, but it wasn't at the forefront for me. I, I did feel, I did really respect a commune and I, he is one of my favorite characters uh, to follow at this point. And, and I guess this is the reason why, because people, Esmanet looks up to him so much and and he treats Esmanet with respect. He has some weird possessive issues <laughs> there, but <laughs> I, I guess they're somewhat understandable. Um, and then this and how the description of how their friendship started, I think that meant a lot. It, it wasn't like they met and then they got to know each other for, for a long time. Uh, Cinnamon, <laughs> note, I, Cinnamon <laughs> noticed Proyas's behavior and realized it was because of Akamian. So the the reflection of his personality meant enough to Cinnamon Ziminus to to actually go uh, make friends with the guy, which I feel like is a really powerful statement about him as a person. Even though we haven't, I feel like the readers haven't really seen that side of him yet because he's been mostly moaning so far. <laughs> all right hear me now <laughs> enjoy this for the rest of your lives our trio we have we have we have cinnamon <laughs> then we have proyas which sound which sounds if you stretch it really far like toast <laughs> proyas <laughs> and then aka i'm kind of that's kind of a sound you make when you crunch something so I'm I'm now calling this trio Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Nice. And that is canon in this podcast. <laughs> They're my boys, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. So good. Sounds delicious. Um, yeah, no, now I'm going to make me and everyone else hungry. I need some cereal. Yeah. <laughs> Can I, I, I wanted to, to raise another question um, that's uh, unrelated. Um, I, I, I know this came up uh, earlier, but it, it comes up again here. I don't know yet if I am bought into the fact that these 100,000 people died. I believe it might have happened, but we don't know the details yet, right? And how does how does exactly how does um, this is going back to this vulgar war thing? I, I assume that it happened, but so then and and I guess there were two for one, but does that mean there were no casualties on the other side? Um, that's a lot. 
by the way, if you look at like battles in history, like that's that's a crazy amount. And how and I have many questions about how were the um uh what are they called? The the other guys, uh how were they able to do that? It's not that none of that has been explained, right? So I the Kyanine Empire. Thank you. Exactly. So they were the ones who have the Caesarim sorcerers. Mm-hmm. Right? The, so yeah. they like uh, they nuke them or what? Like I'm just I'm just curious. Uh, I, I, I uh, maybe we'll we'll find out. Um, I assume we'll find out. Um, but I but I'm also wondering like there was there was a part in here where they were like, how did that happen? Like oh well we don't we don't know yet. Anyway, there's something something about that that's that uh, piqued my my interest. Yeah, I think one plausible theory for me is the new king by sorceress. We've seen some version of it, I suppose, with um, the Sylvandi and uh, I forget the name of the empire, but Confus's army, basically, where they decimate the Sylvandi. And how how big was their army? 10,000 people? Uh, that was... I don't remember, but I, I think the Sylvandi were... Uh, numbered to be about 10,000 or so, right? So, and and the sorcerer group was pretty small. We could, in theory, have 10 times the number of sorcerers, which I guess we can assume they do okay. have, uh, to decimate an army that size. But what I have trouble believing is that the army was, in fact, that big, mm-hmm. uh, because it is a very, very large army i think so <laughs> i'm saying this well, because it always trips me up like people in fantasy books and maybe in some history stuff that i've read too they're like oh that's a huge army and how many people do they have two thousand people okay uh so hundred thousand is a very large <laughs> number for an army so we do know that the majority of them were just like random people like women and children and like old people mm-hmm. and like whoever the you know the lame like just people who just like followed along okay. to go to shima um so i think that's the what accounts for the numbers is mm-hmm. i don't think the majority of them are actually an army yeah i have to imagine it's probably only like 10 or twenty thousand people that are the army otherwise yeah you're right that's i mean that's insane and it's such a bloated number uh, equally for you know destroying them i mean it's not we get that you use the word decimation varsha we get that word from roman you know as consider this enormous damage to an army mm-hmm. that's desa 10 that's one tenth of an army mm-hmm. that is an enormous massacre so how the hell <laughs> did they wipe out a hundred thousand people now yeah maybe magic is the answer maybe they nuked them i'm mm-hmm. kind of thinking i'm i'm with mike that i i don't know that i buy it um mm-hmm. i do think they probably got like just destroyed just like embarrassed on the battlefield you know then their leaders were killed which i think was maybe the most crucial thing Mm. but i suspect that probably tens of thousands of them are just like ran away and are now like starving in the wilderness or something or being picked off you know I, i i do suspect if you went to the battlefield there would be an insane number of corpses but i don't think it would be a hundred thousand corpses because that is just an insane, like that's that's almost yeah. unfathomable. I mean, you think about it, you think about wars today, you know, and like how many people die in, in any number of you know bombings or anything. Like a hundred thousand so, 
in like one day, presumably. It's crazy. That's crazy. So Gettysburg was 50,000, but that's both sides. And a lot of them were not battle casualties. I just looked it up for comparison's sake. But then I think it says somewhere Mm. like only 30 or so people lived. I mean, it's just maybe I, there's just something, something about it. I don't think it's a big plot hole, but it's one of the remaining questions I have going into the next. Uh, right. I, it, it, it could just be something where maybe Baker's just maybe. like, yep, it was done. It was magic, whatever. And we'll just have to like roll with it. But I, I'm with you, Mike, that I think like, I feel like we have reasons to question that number that's given. It And also, I, I think this the conclusion that they're drawing from that is that the whatever that other side is they are incredibly powerful and now it's going to be difficult to defeat them sort of but did they take absolutely no damage right right? like what you were saying earlier mike they it feels almost like this army must now be at an advantage because they should have taken some damage from but then if it was over the course of one day probably not yeah we'll have to see i feel like we might get to see more of that later on when people actually like the people we are following actually show up there. we got it yeah. they have to address that right yeah. like we got to see a body like a battlefield full of corpses or something, <laughs> like, yeah you know or like the yeah i don't know there's gonna be something because that's just that is just such an insane massacre which we again have not seen so right. we've only been right. told this secondhand and third hand and, and fourth it just, hand. It's, it's mentioned many times in the several of the chapters yeah. in this part. Uh, Certainly it's meant to mess with the crusaders mm-hmm. morale. Like yeah. that much is obvious, right? Is it, it's meant to weaken make the net's power. Right. And, you know, frighten the crusaders um, before they really even get going. Yeah, not to so this is all spoiler free, but just a couple of things to consider is um first it's like hard to comprehend that many people dying, but it was I think Carl you mentioned it was like the tag along, so it was like the um cannon fodder basically, but that number has significance in some political maneuvering going on too. So mm. yeah. makes sense. I, I think so. That's yeah. a nice round. <laughs> makes sense to me too. So, new topic, unless anyone has more to say about this. Uh, in the conversation between eh, names, the crow and the architect. and The, the synthes. Yeah. yeah, the architect, however you want to refer to him. Was it in that conversation where he says, I'm able to change face, and then what's one bruise among so many, meaning that if they see the mark of having used sorcery, they wouldn't get caught. Was that where that happens? Yeah. So this person changes shape and is able to sort of hide that they can do magic. Which, okay, so new theory is Maithanet also consult? <laughs> I don't think so. No. Because I think I think he would have been in on that meeting. I think he's just unwittingly being manipulated, if anything, uh, as he's trying to manipulate. Like, yeah, I, I, I don't think so. So you um, think 
So, is Maithanet useless or is he all powerful ish? Because it, there's two interpretations to all the events, right? Um, and, and I guess the people in the world are also sort of confused. <laughs> like we saw at the end of the last section with Confis saying, oh, um, maybe, like, how does he even know about this, the Scarlet Spires and what happened with them? Uh, but then there's also the fact that he let the vulgar holy war get completely out of hand and now he's just, I don't know, praying or something that uh, to and meditating to figure out what to do next or something to that effect. So on the one hand, it feels like he's not super powerful. Uh, he's just sort of someone who bit off way more than he can chew. But on the other hand, it feels like he could be someone really powerful. Which, which side... What what are your theories there? I think both. I think he's both. I think I think when it comes to like the realms of men, he's quite effective at what he does, um, and he probably has some magical something going on, um, or else the Dunyain thing, or there's something going on. Well, we know we know he has magic, right? I don't even if he hasn't casted it, maybe he's never cast it, but he can at least see it, so he has that ability within him. Um, but I don't think I think the big hole for him is I don't think he's aware of the consult. Like I don't I don't think he's a member of or was ever a member of uh, the mandate, and I don't think he buys what you know they're selling. Hmm. I, I think he is unaware that the consult has infiltrated the Thousand Temples, and thus the Crusade. I could be totally wrong about that, but I just. I'd, otherwise, I don't know why, unless he is a la, uh, allied with them, why he hasn't noticed that Sarcellus is clearly off. I think um, this is what, it, there's at least two of these kind of X factor type of people going on here. One is now that we know that Sarcellus, this type of a being, can, can exist that opens it up for any character to possibly have been somebody that we don't think they are yeah. right which i find this is just yeah. excellent you know uh, uh work being done by baker here in, in addition we also have we also learned that um <clears throat> excuse me kellis's father was in kind of embedded in this in that other the skill bendy so there's like there's potential here that in, in the people who we think are who who we think they are are not necessarily you know what i mean uh the they, they could be um there could be many characters or a few other characters i should say that are potentially consult or or what have you because it seems i mean not to make it seem like a big plot hole or whatever but once you wield something like that in a book it opens it's like kind of like time travel or you know you know what i mean i know you guys are also reading science fiction and stuff but um it kind of blows blows up blows it up in, in for me in my mind that anything is possible so i don't know if i answered your question marcia totally. but that's i think any, i think anything is possible 
No, that makes sense. I I like the comparison to time travel because, you know, in every story that has time travel, I'm like, if you don't do it well, if you don't give yourself rules, you're just going to go and be so inconsistent with everything. Given how much people love the series, I, I doubt that that's going yeah. to happen. But yeah, it, 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 it does certainly make for interesting storytelling to open that up in the world that anyone could be anyone else. We- yeah. Oh, that was mention of... Sorry, oh, no, no. Uh, I was just very briefly, we don't know a lot about this Mathanet. We haven't had a lot of eyes on him. Just the, he was paraded out and he made this big declaration and then we don't, we don't have a chapter with him. We have a few pages. So it's a lot of big question mm-hmm. marks. Uh, yeah. And we, in fact, what we do know about him is that he is mysterious and that no one knows anything about him and that he came out of nowhere and rose up in a very short period of time to become the Shriya. Mm-hmm. Like that, what, 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 literally what we know is he's an enigma. Um, so yeah, yeah, he's very interesting. Also, I, I don't think I quite registered this in the previous parts if it was mentioned, but um, Akamian and other sorcerers, they are blasphemers just by, by virtue of being sorcerers. So if Maithanet is a sorcerer, then he, the leader of the crusade, <laughs> is also... Yeah. Of what what's the word blasphemer <laughs> and, um yeah he he is what he's fighting against sort of so absolutely yeah it that that dynamic is going to be interesting also yeah. i think agree and, and the people that seem to really want the holy war crusade it's not about to me and this is true i think in um in in in, in, a, in a, the real world uh, in in some ways, it's not just about religion. It's not just about faith. Um, it's about conquest or control and power, as you said, Carl, and um, mentioned. Yeah, you know uh, earlier. Um, so I, I I I believe that's a possibility, um, as you said, Barsha. That you know you, that that this this enigma character, you know, he could be anything. Anyway, we got, I think we got some interesting theories here. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Steve, I'm curious. You always highlight such interesting passages. What have you highlighted this time for us? You're muted, by the way. <laughs> Let me pull up my note. I had had a quote. Um, let me pull it up. On. 322, there was a quote. Let me pull it up. The suspense. <laughs> um, on 322, it'll, it'll be like the light after a long darkness, he had said. It will illuminate and it will blind. What, what's the context of that? Uh, when Sarcellus had told her it would be like this, how many times had he apologized for the discomforts of the road? He traveled... Uh, frugally bearing crucial cor- uh, hearing crucial, crucial correspondence for the um, the Grandmaster and the Shrill Knights, but he insisted this would change when they reached the Holy War, when he uh, promised to keep her in the fashion befitting her beauty and her wit. So it'll be like the like the light after long darkness; it will illuminate and it will blind. Interesting. Yeah. Do you guys think the consult, assuming that we are dealing with a consult here, 
had her followed, has been at followed, and that's why he managed to come to a rescue, or it was just a coincidence? Because I guess at first I thought, oh, it's a coincidence, but like they clearly were aware of her as a piece on the board, and they even talk about it, although I don't think they ever say anything about having her followed out of the city. Yeah, I'm not sure they meant, I, I don't, I don't think they mentioned having her followed, but I think they mentioned that she may be of use to them, even though she didn't uh, provide much crucial information. Right. But if, if they did want to keep an eye on her, would it be presumably the most important person of the Holy War or like the second most important after Maitland, right? That's who the knight commander is. He's at least like, I don't know. I mean, he's he's definitely one of like the generals hmm. in their army or like a commander in their army. But I, I mean, I don't think he's like near. He's like the leader of Mathenet's guard, really. Hmm. Okay, I kind of got the impression that he's sort of like one level down from Mathenet. He could have siblings, but um, sorry. I'm, <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, I'm using. <laughs> Uh, the <laughs> language but um anyway what is my point yeah he feels like a really important person to have sent after her so either they think that she's supremely important if she if he did follow her or maybe they send someone else and then like he was able to show up there on short notice um because of powers unseen yeah i mean he's definitely important i, I agree with that yeah totally and yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I forget how this topic started. We were talking about... <laughs> I, I was just asking based off the passage. Oh, whether well, well, the Espinet got followed. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. What else? Do you have any other passages or particular things that stood out to you, Steve? There's another one um, about <clears throat> Espinet. She talked about Akami and uh, after her, the uh, encounter... She said, I survived Akka, but I did not survive. Damn. Hesmanet out here. <laughs> so sad. Yeah. Can I do one? But of course. <laughs> Hesito's Black was another movie. That's, you know. <laughs> yeah. Go for it, Varsha. Oh, sorry. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> uh, when we were talking about the game Benjuka, uh, <laughs> some it was said had bent themselves to the Benjuka plate and lifted their heads as prophets Akamian was not among them <laughs> I thought that was hilarious <laughs> there's a lot of good dry humor uh, in this book in general mm -hmm. and particularly around Akamian mm -hmm. and and that, that scene in particular their dynamic definitely had some nice good old rye you know older men joshing with one another it was good mm -hmm. can i do a quote yes please so this is a, the second page of chapter 11. um yeah it's just an, an i thought it was it's not a, somebody's voice um it says politics he thought sourly it was not as the philosopher agensis had written the, the negotiation of advantage within communities of men it was an absurd auction that it was more an absurd auction than an exercise in oratory, one battered principle and piety to accomplish what principle and piety demanded. 
one sullied himself in order to be cleansed. This is an interesting quote on politics, and it continues further on there about how you need to get dirty and you need to um, you need to sully yourself, I, I, I guess, to to be successful. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. A little long. Wish I had <laughs> paraphrased it better. I think I tried to refer to it earlier at some point, and then I completely mangled it. <laughs> I'm realizing. So, how about one of the epigraphs, the very first one we get? And the non-man king cried words that sting. Now, to me, you must confess, for death above you hovers. And the emissary answered, ever wary. We are the race of flesh. We are the race of lovers. So this is, you know, presumably about humans, right? The emissary is presumably human, considering it's an ancient uh, cuneary folk song. So one of their emissaries to the non-man king. It's interesting. I don't know the dynamic it introduces between the non-men and the humans. Um, you know, leaning into the human mortality, right? And that, that in some way defines them, right? We're the race of flesh, we, but also we're the race of lovers. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting um, way of referring to humanity mm. um, and, and particularly pitting those two together, flesh and lovers, you know, with the chapter about Esmanet. Mm. I like that. I, I never am um, able to make sense of poetry, so thank you for <laughs> explaining <laughs> that. <laughs> um, I have also an epigraph, uh, the chapter 11. I thought this was my favorite of the three we read. Uh, Reason, a Jenkis, right, is the capacity to overcome unprecedented obstacles in the gratification of desire. <laughs> What distinguishes man from beasts is man's capacity to overcome infinite obstacles through reason. But Ajenkis has confused the accidental for the essential. Prior to the capacity to overcome infinite obstacles is the capacity to confront them. What defines man is not that he reasons, but that he prays. Which I guess is open to some interpretations, if I read it correctly. Like praying, does that... I mean, I read it as praying means that you're not confronting obstacles, but is that <laughs> the right interpretation? Or I guess that makes sense. Yeah, mm -hmm. I struggled with that one to understand exactly what it was saying. Like, I understood the first part, and then it was the it was the prayer line that I was like, "Wait, what?" And I, I guess, yeah. I mean, I think that makes the most sense. What you're pitching there, Varsha, that by praying you're not actually confronting. Mm -hmm. Um, or you're not you're not overcoming it yourself, I guess. You're just faced with a problem, and so you pray. You're hoping for it to go away, sort of. Or, like, right. that, that's the interpretation. That, that the I divine have. will come in and solve your problem. Mm. Right. Which no animal will do, right? Animals don't pray. Mm. Not for the praying mantis. And so, you're right. There you go. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> The, the praying mantis, the, the supreme being on the planet. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's that is really interesting. I'm glad you're. I like your your interpretation, Varsha. That I think that sort of clarifies things for me. 
Dude, I was, I, I was like, prayer, confrontation, prayer. What? What is he saying here? Like, I, I got what Agensis was saying. I do not get what you're saying later, guy writing about Agensis. I was like, what? What is? Oh, these philosophers <laughs> talking about philosophers. It doesn't get more navel gazy than that. Yeah. I'm kind of, I'm kind of missing the. Um, what is it? The manifest delusions epigraphs where someone will say something profound like this and then there'll be another quote from someone else who'll call the previous one a twat or an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we could we could throw in a quote from Carl here saying what's what's this person's name who who the quote is from? Uh what are we what are we quoting from? Ikeanus is a twat. <laughs> Carl oh, Alba. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just gotta keep it real, you know? Yeah, I keep I keep expecting to see a a, a counter counter mm -hmm. uh graph, yeah. It's like no, he just he's the worst. He's a twat. <laughs> I was supposed to read that this year. I know you all read, I think you read the series, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we finished it a few weeks ago. It was a lot of fun to discuss. Yeah, it was fun. Yeah, we just wrote that wiki. I need to get that wiki together. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've yeah. got to help with that. Um, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, do, I'll do a whole page on epigraphs. Because, uh, that was my favorite thing about that series. That'd be cool. Um, yeah, any anything else that we should talk about before we sign off? I think we hit everything that I, I wanted to hit. Mm -hmm. Anything from you, Mike? Any last thoughts? No, I yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this section. I, I, um, I don't have anything else to add right now. I covered most of my, my notes. <laughs> what, about, what about you, mm. Barsha or, or Steve? I think I think I'm all yeah, covered. All mine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Steve, what are you what character are you most excited to reread about in the next part? Ooh. Uh I'm well the next part is with the warrior, I think. I think so. Um but I'm probably most interested to read Proyas <laughs> again. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> so, if he's in this part, I don't remember, but yeah, mm -hmm. mm. it's possible. I guess they're all we're building towards them all coming together. Maybe if not at the end of this book, in the next book, perhaps. But, um, what about you, Varsha? Who are you looking forward to reading about? Who am I looking forward to reading about? Um, one character, pick one character. Probably, I'd like to see in. You said one. I would have said uh, Akamian and more Zimanis together, cinnamon <laughs> together. But uh, yeah, we need more cinnamon toast crunch. Cinnamon toast crunch. That that counts as one person, right? <laughs> <laughs> but no, um, I think Esmenet probably. I like I like reading her perspective the most. If Esmenet, it's likely to come back in, in the next section. That's who I'd like to see the most. But if not. I don't. I, I wouldn't mind going back to Nayur. It sounds like we might because there's a steppy chapter or something in the next section. So that's a great transition because my answer is anyone but Nayur. <laughs> 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 and 
And so I am so looking forward to this next section, <laughs> the warrior. Mm. Uh, no, we'll we'll see. I'm I'm hoping we get some Callus. So I'll, I'll say Callus. Mm. Yes, actually, we haven't seen him again. What's your answer, Mike? Yeah, I, I'm I'm going to say Callus. Um, it's mm. been a while since we've heard from him, uh, unless he's somebody that we, you know, what I mean, he might be somebody <laughs> um, that we've been introduced to. Introduced to. I have a lot of. I guess I, maybe I'm a skeptical person. I don't know. Maybe that's not the right word, but I, I just, uh, I'm not taking anything for face value. Um, I think that's appropriate. Yeah. And I, <laughs> that's very appropriate. Yeah. It does make a lot of sense. I'm also not getting attached to anybody because if I like somebody, they might do something awful, you know, at any, at any given time. <laughs> I think anything is on the table here. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm thinking about it in terms of, people I like reading about as opposed to people I actually like. Like you said, I'm, I'm trying not to get attached because we've been promised that things will change and people will change. <laughs> so, cool. uh, yeah, I'm ready for Esmanette to just like destroy me. <laughs> I, I know she's going to, she's going to do something that I'm just going to, I'm going to be so upset. Yeah. And then we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk through it. I'm gonna. Well, I'm gonna love it. I'm gonna hate it. I'm gonna be like, God, you're the worst. But it was so good. <laughs> cool. So let's do outros now. I guess, Carl, since you were last last time, would you like to start us off and tell us where we can find your books? Which, by the way, I forgot to mention at the beginning, we're going to be reading and discussing early December. So if you'd like to join us for that discussion, discussion. Uh, <laughs> um, Come check out the page chewing forum or consider reading along with us. It's going to be a fun discussion. God, a truth of yeah, crowns. The book is called <laughs> Yeah, Truth of Crowns, book one in the Ash Eternal series. Um, I yeah, I'd love to get some more new readers to join us for this. I'm very excited. Uh, I, I know Paramita has already blazed through the book, it seems like. In like 20 minutes, um, I think. Yeah, really. Within <laughs> Steve said go, and Paramita was like, all right, I'm done. What, are we ready for lap two yet? <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm Carl D. Albert. You can find me at Carl D. Albert on most social media sites. Uh, I would love if you would find me and all these other lovely people on the Patreon forum. It's really a wonderful community. And uh, yeah. Mike? Yeah, I'm also on pagechewing.com. I have a pretty decent community reputation at 200 and, 202. <laughs> Zero warning points. Nice. It's a, but it's a great place. I'm so lucky, so lucky <laughs> to have found it. this. Um, I really look forward to these discussions. Um, so, yeah, thank, thank you so much for organizing these. Nice. When I, when I first joined page chewing and started interacting quite a bit, I had a secret goal to make it to a thousand <laughs> reputation points. <laughs> I'm now at fifteen hundred. <laughs> now my, uh. my new goal is five thousand. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Steve, just, I'm just learning about this now, so <laughs> I, I'm wow. I'm gonna have to. Uh, uh, damn, coming to this competition late. <laughs> Got to speed I things up. There is like a like a trophy like an awards mm -hmm. mod that I used to have installed that I don't know if it still might be there. So, so there is a thing called <laughs> I'm probably the only person on the forum who tracks it. 
<laughs> there is a thing called uh, days one where yeah. you, you you win the day if you get the most likes or reactions. <laughs> and I'm all, I also track how many days <laughs> I win. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if you want to get that, please, uh, and if you want to crush Varsha and her ginormous ego, then please come join the page to inform so we can all team up and overthrow her. <laughs> this is our holy war. Learning a lot of against Varsha. Why, God, what did I ever do to you? I, I just see a victor, and I think you know what they're they're standing up too tall. Mm. It's time to bring him down. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Except Steve is probably who we need to attack because he's got like 500 days one or something. I have quite a few. Yeah, I was just checking. I have quite a few. The king of page chewing. Yeah, we're coming for you. The revolution is coming, my friend. Yeah, let's let's do it. <laughs> anyway, Steve, your podcast. <laughs> yeah, you can find me on uh, pagechewing.com or uh, pagechewing on uh, all the podcasting platforms best way to find me yeah and you can find me on the youtube channel reading by the rainy mountain um and i also have a podcast called bright threads in the tapestry for which eventually i have marked out two things that i will discuss uh from this book in an in a bright threads episode or two different bright threads episodes it might be a while before that comes but (laughs) anyway um we'll see everyone in two weeks and after that we will meet weekly thank you so much for listening bye thanks everybody